the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Bob Lapine. Thursday afternoon. I have to tell you, um, after what we talked about yesterday, you know, we talked about the importance of civil conversation and dialogue. We talked about how we, we live in a culture that is designed to make us angry or fearful, a culture that's designed to uh, stir us with passion. And it's almost like every day you hear about something new that's outrageous, something new that you're supposed to be incensed about. And it makes it hard for days like today when what has happened today should provoke in each one of us a genuine source of sadness, but also a genuine response of anger. I presume that everyone listening knows about what happened earlier today at the Abbey Gate at the Kabul airport in Afghanistan. I presume that you're aware that 11 Marines and a Navy corpsman have lost their lives today in what appears to be two suicide bomber attacks at the airport. People think, you know, it's early to tell. It appears ISIS-K is responsible for this. In the last 18 months in Afghanistan, you know how many U.S. servicemen and women have lost their lives in the last 18 months in Afghanistan? None. And here in what is supposed to be our final week there, this attack on our soldiers, there are 12 servicemen who are dead. And so... In a moment like this, we've got to stop and we've got to say, what is our response? Uh, It is easy to be angry at um, our leaders for what's been going on in the last week. Now, let me just tell you, the Bible tells us we are to pray for our leaders and we ought to pray for our leaders. But I keep thinking to myself, if if what was happening at the at the US Mexico border 3 years ago with families being separated if that was a tragedy and it was how much more is the tragedy of what's happening in Afghanistan right now how how much more concerned should we be about that and this is not listen folks this is not about 
politics. This is not about Democrats and Republicans. This is not about pro-Biden, anti-Biden, pro-Trump, anti-Trump. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about our country. We're talking about America and the way we are operating in the world. There are 12 servicemen dead today, and there are tens of thousands of Afghanis who fear for their lives and who believe that their lives are in danger. In the past week, some of those Afghanis who have been allies with us during our time in Afghanistan, some of them are dead. There are children dead. What's happening in that part of the world, we can, we can go back and we can talk about whether we should have been there in the first place, about whether we had an objective, about whether we should have pulled out earlier. This is for minds greater than mine, but what I can tell you is what we're experiencing today did not have to be if there had been a better planned, better coordinated, better orchestrated exit from the country. And and what's going on now needs a response. We should not be negotiating and holding to deadlines, we should be saying every American's going to get out and those who served us who want to leave and come to freedom, find freedom in other parts of the world, we're going to help them. They helped us. And all we can do is pray. We have to guard ourselves against the the kind of um, anger that emerges, finger pointing. It's not a question. We we should not be occupying ourselves with who should have known this or who should have done that. that. There's a time and a place to dissect all of that. But in this moment, we need to be asking the question, how do we care for those who are still on the ground? How do we get them to safety? How do we protect the innocent in Afghanistan from those who would see them dead? What can we do? What should we do what is right for us to do after the years that we've been there and and this is this is one of those areas where as christians we find ourselves um oftentimes with our neighbors or our friends in in disagreement we have to be again careful and wise about how we engage on these issues we have to be measured in how we engage and yet being measured does not mean that we simply say, oh, well, nothing we can do about that. We shouldn't be worried about that. No, be, being measured means we guard how we talk about these things. But when it's time to say this is wrong, we have to stand up and say this is wrong. And folks, what's happening right now in Afghanistan, this is wrong. And how we are handling this as, as a country is we have to look back and say this is not working well this this is not how it ought to be um the the leader of the uh the, the minority leader in the senate leader mcconnell has issued a statement it is sickening and enraging to hear that 12 united states service members have been killed more have been injured at the hands of terrorists in kabul uh, Speaker Schumer 
has has issued a statement on it and and I just I have to say with with all due respect and I mean this all due respect to the speaker of the house to speaker Pelosi who is in San Francisco today and is preparing now for a a commemoration of uh, a, commem- a commemoration of Women's Equity Day, there with the mayor of San Francisco to commemorate Women's Equality Day. And I, I would just say, Madam Speaker, this is a day when you should say, in light of what is going on in Afghanistan, in light of the fact that 12 of our servicemen are dead. We need to postpone. We need to maybe cancel this event. We do not rally together and talk about the gains we've made for women's equality on this day. Our focus needs to be on our service members, on the the U.S. citizens who are still in Afghanistan, the, the friends of this country who are longing for freedom, the people who are willing to hang on in a wheel well of an airplane hoping to get to freedom only to fall from those planes? Do we realize what's happening? I want to talk with you. I want us to think together. Again, there's not a whole lot. We, You know the details. The news reports keep coming out. We're, we're following this. We will keep you updated There's not much more we can tell you about what's going on there, but we can be thinking about how God would have us respond as citizens of America, but also as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what I want us to to stop and just think about today. I want us to think about patriotism and our citizenship in heaven, and how those fit together. I grew up in a time when the only time you could watch cartoons was on Saturday morning. Maybe an hour or two after school, you could watch Huckleberry Hound. Um, But I grew up in a time when at school you got a healthy dose of patriotism, where we recited the Pledge of Allegiance, where in music class we learned how to sing all of the verses of America the Beautiful, including the verses about alabaster cities gleaming and heroes proved in liberating strife, which is what we've seen today. I I was taught my country tis of thee and God bless America right alongside the star-spangled banner, and we were taught to love our country. We were taught that there was something special about America. Our educators emphasized the goodness of our country and our national values. Now, sometimes, we've got to acknowledge, sometimes we glossed over or we distorted or we ignored completely some of our national sins and flaws we we learned to cheer for the american ideals and sometimes we were steered away from thinking carefully about the extent to which those ideals were or were not being upheld we were taught that the declaration of independence says all men are created equal but we weren't taught as much about how in america that was not the case for so many years I don't know if children are being taught patriotic songs in elementary schools today, but I do know that the divide between Americans about our national heritage, our history, our values has never in my lifetime been deeper than it is right now. The ideological split 
that existed in the 60s comes close, but I think what's happening in our day today goes deeper. And I hope and I pray that the divide we're experiencing does not come to what it came to in the 1860s when there was bloodshed over a nation divided. But I do find myself in our day wondering, as President Lincoln wondered in his day, how long a nation divided like ours can endure. I consider myself to be patriotic. I believe the American principles of freedom and justice and equality under the law, values that have been imperfectly lived out in our country, are still values worth preserving and protecting and defending. I agree with Sir Winston Churchill, who said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. I hope and I pray that my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, indeed every American son and daughter will grow to, to love and to know the blessings of liberty, that that will be true for them throughout their lifetime. And as I've watched what's going on in Afghanistan, my, my heart goes out to those Afghans who have never known the blessings of liberty. And my gratitude for living in this country has been stirred in a fresh way. Now, I say all of that to say this. My love for my country is deep. My dad was on the beaches of Normandy in 1944. My dad was there. My love for my country is something that has been a part of my heritage. But you need to know, and and you need to, to follow this, my love for and my allegiance to the kingdom of God goes much deeper than my love for my country. In the same way that Jesus has taught that our love for him should make our affection for members of our own family seem like hatred in comparison, so... My love for a kingdom of men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation, all pledging devotion to Christ as king, that makes my love for America seem pale. And I think that's how it ought to be. But it's not that way for many Christians. There was a poll done recently where Christians were asked, your love for country versus your love for your religion, which is higher? And only 15% of those polled said, my love for my religion is much higher than my love for my country. A lot of people said, no, it's neck and neck. It's side by side. I love both. Well, I love both too. But listen, I love my neighbor and I love my wife, but I love them differently. I love my country and I love the kingdom, but I love them differently. As I watch today, so many of the values that we hold dear in this country, values that are anchored anchored in what the Bible teaches, as I watch those begin to erode in our culture, it's easy for me to want to push back against the growing darkness in our culture. There is a spiritual root that is feeding the political and cultural forces that are at work in our society. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 5, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one the whole world. That explains why some are prone to see a clear connection between a love for God and a love for country. For some people, standing for what America is, is equal to standing for what the Bible teaches, except it's not. Our allegiance 
to the Bible and to the kingdom must always be a higher allegiance. John says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's not just the blue states or the red states. It's not just one political party or another. The real dividing line in our world today is not between Democrats and Republicans, liberals, progressives, conservatives. The real dividing line is between those who pledge their allegiance to Jesus as king and those who refuse to bow before him. Our ultimate fellowship and unity as Christians is founded in our common allegiance to our king and our kingdom, not in our common agreement about how much we should be spending on infrastructure or who messed up in Afghanistan. It's not that those things aren't important. They are important. And there is an overlap between what the Bible teaches that we should believe about government programs and policies. We we should be active citizens. We should be expressing our voice. We should be paying attention to what's happening. We should be promoting and upholding biblical values of justice and morality in our world. But when I read my Bible, political engagement and cultural change is not what's primary. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. The focus of scriptures is on the power of the gospel to transform the lives of men and women. What is central to the plan of God in our world is gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. Words and works that point people over and over again to the goodness and kindness and mercy and love of our God who calls them to repent and believe and follow his son. So on this day as an American, I look with anger. I I look with frustration, with sadness. I want our country to keep its people safe here and abroad. I want our governing officials to do their job and protect us and protect them and keep us safe from harm. But if there's going to be real change in our country, and I believe there needs to be change, it's not going to happen primarily at a public policy level. It's going to happen primarily when the hearts of men and women are realigned, when our priorities are readjusted, when we say the kingdom of God is what matters, when we start living out kingdom values in our lives, and when that's what begins to dominate our discourse. We are facing headwinds as Christians in this culture. It is not popular to be a Christian. It's not popular to hold Christian views. You you will be marginalized and you will be shut down, but you know what? The same thing happened to the people in the church In the first century, they were marginalized and shut down, and some of them put to death. And they did not say, we've got to overthrow Nero. We've got to vote in a new emperor. They said, we have to follow our king, follow his agenda, and live and love and serve and care for and proclaim the gospel of the king who died and rose again and is coming again. So while we grieve for what's going on in Afghanistan, while we watch the news, let's watch the news with an understanding that we have a God who is superintending all of the events of human history. This did not take him by surprise. The events in Afghanistan did not take him by surprise. Here's what I want us to do. When we come back, we're going to talk with 
a professor of history from the university from Baylor University, Dr. Thomas Kidd. I'm so glad to have him joining us, particularly on this day. I want to talk about how we integrate our love for our king and our kingdom and our love for our country. Where are the boundary lines? What's what's the difference between patriotism and Christian nationalism? And is one of those wrong and bad? Dr. Kidd's going to join us. We're going to talk about those things after we take this time out. We'll be right back. Southern California Live, KKLA and KPRZ, KPRAZE. I'm Bob Lapine. We are talking about what's going on in Afghanistan today. We're talking about patriotism. We're talking about love for country and love for the kingdom of God and how those come together or ought to come together in our lives and what safeguards ought to be around some of that. And I'm glad that we've got with us to help us think through this. Uh, Dr. Thomas Kidd. Dr. Kidd is a distinguished professor of history at Baylor University. His areas of particular interest are 18th century North America, particularly the history of evangelicalism in our country, early America, American religion. He has written a number of books, a number of publications. He's a he's a go-to guy on these kinds of subjects. And it's an honor to have him with us. Dr. Kidd, welcome to Southern California Live. Nice to have you. Thanks for having me. So the the events of this day are sobering for all of us with an attack on U.S. servicemen in Afghanistan. When you and I talked earlier this week about you being on, we did not know that this was what would be in the news. But our, our uh, heart of patriotism is stirred by events like this, and it's easy for us to become angry and easy for us to uh, to want to protect and defend and, and to respond appropriately. So I, I think the question is, as, as Americans and Christians, and we are both, what's an appropriate response in a moment like this, do you think? Well, I think you can go a long way with uh, grief, um, you know, regret over, you know, however we got to this point that, uh, you know, we need to pray as believers for uh, the families of people, you know, the people who've been lost, Marines have been lost. And and I think that, that we can certainly embrace, uh, you know, admiration for um, those who put their lives on the line, you know, to, to uh, serve and protect, and that's, you know, police, and it's it's military and, and, and those sorts of things. So, you know, all those types of emotions, I think we can, on a day like today, we can go pretty far down the line with it. And and as we think about this, there's a, there's a term, you and I talked earlier about this, you wrote an article about the difference between appropriate patriotism and Christian nationalism, and and you said one of those is good in moderation, the other is is troublesome. So let's talk about that. Can you define the difference between being someone who is patriotic and loves your country and somebody who's a Christian nationalist? Well, I think that that patriotism is, you know, in 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 measure and and as a kind of secondary commitment is is a good and appropriate and even God-given thing. I mean, I think there's something that God has wired into us to be 
uh, proud of of the place where we come from, um, and and you find that even with people who come from you know countries that don't have the kind of freedoms that America historically has had, and and so uh, I I think that those are just part of our commitments that that go you know our ultimate commitment being God and His kingdom, but you know to the to the nation and to the city we're from and and all the way down to our families i th- i think that that you know, those are those are natural and god-given kinds of commitments i think that it becomes nationalistic um when we make our national commitment part of our faith um and, and that that is a, a dangerous territory that many people throughout history have gotten into where somehow uh, being American or being part of another nation uh, becomes sort of equal to our identity as Christians, um, and that that you know, I, I, of course, I'm I'm a Christian because I'm an American and I'm I'm a patriot, and I think especially for evangelical believers, you know, we we just have to make sure that we keep those categories clear and distinct from one another. Here's part of the challenge for, I think, all of us. There is some overlap between the principles that were at play in the founding of our country and what the Bible teaches about how we should treat one another. So ideas like life, liberty, I, I don't know that the pursuit of happiness is necessarily a biblical theme, <laughs> right? But but there at the founding, in, in creating this new American experiment, th- there were some we drew from an understanding of God, providence. That language is all through the language of the founders. So we look at our country and we say, well, this country was birthed from biblical ideals. Is is that wrong thinking? No, I, I think that that's right. And, and, I mean, I think one of the reasons why the American constitutional system has endured for as long as it has is because it was – built uh you know not completely but but substantially on biblical concepts like people are not naturally good uh, you don't want to give too much power to any one elected official uh, the the priority of religious liberty and that that our faith should be our you know most sacred uh commitment um, th- those are uh you know built into the american founding and they are uh, substantially biblical principles, um, but you know I, I think that we uh, go too far when we when we you know somehow make our American commitment the same thing as our Christian commitment, or it's necess- there's a necessary connection, and you can see that even in the fact that you know some of the founders, um, you, you know, even though they're operating with a worldview that is substantially biblical. Uh, they held beliefs like Thomas Jefferson that you mentioned about pursuit of happiness. I mean, Jefferson denies the resurrection. He denies the divinity of Christ. He denies the authority of the Bible. Um, he thinks of himself as a sort of ethical Christian, but I think from you know most traditional Christians' perspective, someone who denies all those things can't be considered a Christian. And yet, the the kind of political views he was defending, in a lot of ways, uh, were resonated with the biblical tradition. Yeah. So, so with a with a country that is birthed with some kind of a religious framework with with biblical ideals baked in, you can see where people would begin to think, well, this this is uh, 
Uh, this is God, to borrow Ronald Reagan's phrase, God is raising up a shining city on a hill. We we are fulfilling some kind of a role in, in uh, divine life where we're living out the biblical ideals and this is what culture is supposed to be. This is where we start to drift into thinking, I, I'm, I'm old enough, you, you're probably not old enough for this, but some of our listeners are, I'm old enough that I saw bumper stickers that said my country right or wrong back in the 60s, and, and that's a dangerous place for a Christian to be, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And, and you know, I mean, I mean, I think it was providential that, you know, God raised up in his in his wisdom, the United States in 1776 and all that. But um, that's because I believe God is providentially in control of everything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so, uh, you, you know, it, it, the tendency where I think it gets a little dangerous is comparing America to what Israel uh, was in, in in the Bible and and you know many people believe many Christians think of Israel having a continuing special role with with God but we're not given to know biblically that America has that kind of uh, special relationship with God so you know at the same time as the founding you know British people thought that Britain was a special chosen nation by God and other nations have thought their, that about their their nation and and you know if if the idea is God is providentially working in history to do you know things and and to allow things and so forth absolutely but I think we have to hold back a little bit about the idea that America has this kind of special chosen relationship with God uh, that is pretty much the same as what Israel had in the Old Testament. We're talking with Dr. Thomas Kidd. He is a professor of history at Baylor University. We're talking about patriotism on a day when we have lost American soldiers in suicide bombings on foreign soil. I'm old enough. I, I took AP history when I was in high school. And I remember from my AP history class learning about manifest destiny. Mm-hmm. It, 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 was that idea popular in the early 1800s? And was it fueled by this kind of God and country fusion that is problematic? Yeah, I mean, manifest destiny is really developed in the context of American expansion into the West, all the way out to the Pacific Ocean and uh, ultimately uh, fed into things like the the uh, American War with Mexico in, in the 1840s that resulted in uh, the you know the taking of uh, basically the northern third of Mexico and so forth and and when people would talk about uh, our expansion into the West it, it, the idea is you know this is our manifest destiny this, this is God has has planned for us to to do this. And again, you know, I mean, as it has turned out, we we did expand into the West, and 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 you know, and brought in Texas, which I'm really glad for, and <laughs> and, and California, and all that, and and uh, and and so, um, you know, that that was uh, part, uh, you know, of 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 what defined American history in the 19th century, uh, and good things came with that, but. 
Um, you know, if you start believing that uh, this is all sanctioned by God, then, right, you can get into that mentality of, well, whatever my country is doing must be right because we're God's country. And so if it involves, uh, you know, taking Native Americans' land or taking, you know, Mexican territory and that, that sort of thing, you can develop a sort of uncritical attitude. Uh, mm-hmm. about that thing. Now, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I'm not one of these historians that says everything that America has done is bad. Uh, I'm not I'm not at all in that camp. But I also think for Christians, we need to remember that even if we feel, and on days like today, we feel, you know, intense patriotism and, and gratitude for, you know, servicemen and women and those who have died and so forth. But for as Christians, we still have to remember that the kingdom of God is our number one commitment, and, right. and as important as the nation is, it has to be a secondary commitment for the for the Christian believer. Dr. Thomas Kidd is our guest on Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine. We're going to continue the conversation. I'll invite you in as well if you have thoughts, comments. If you'd like to ask Dr. Kidd a question, the number is 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-528. 2775, excuse me, two, two, I got that wrong, 888-528-2557. That's the number to call if you'd like to join us on Southern California Live. We'll take a quick time out, be back with more with Dr. Thomas Kidd in just a minute. Forty-five minutes past the hour, 15 minutes before the top of the hour, this is Southern California Live on KKLA and Praise. I'm Bob Lapine. On a day when we are sobered by the loss of American life in Afghanistan, suicide bombings have claimed the lives of a dozen servicemen and women, people who are on the ground protecting, trying to help coordinate the evacuation from Afghanistan and these attacks. Uh, still more news coming in about this. We're talking about... Uh, our role, how we think about not just this, but how we think about love of country, how we think about patriotism, how we think about our role as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Bible says. Our citizenship is in heaven, and and we await that. But we are living as ambassadors in another country right now, and, and we can have a love for that country even though ultimately our citizenship is not there. Dr. Thomas Kidd is joining us. He is a distinguished professor of history at Baylor University, written a number of books. Last book that I saw was the book, uh, Who is an Evangelical? The History of a Movement in Crisis. That was a couple of years ago. Are you working on anything right now? Jefferson, actually, uh, trying to figure out what's going on with his religious beliefs. Uh, and it's, it's pretty complicated. I mean, he's he's... You know, he's a a perfect example of somebody in history who's so different from anybody you would get today that he's he's obsessed with the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he he studies it for his whole life, and and so you would think, oh, well, he must have been a Christian. But like I said before, you know, he denied the authority of the Bible. So he's just a really enigmatic, mysterious character. He he decided that he would make a good editor and went through and, and threw out the parts that didn't belong, right? He literally cut it out with a penknife, and, <laughs> and that included uh, the resurrection, which seems to be a pretty important part of the Gospels to me. 
So let me ask you about political engagement. Again, we are we, we have rights and privileges as Americans in the same way that the Apostle Paul had rights as a Roman citizen, and he he, he used those rights to to function in in the Roman Empire. We ought to be uh, actively engaged. It would seem to me using the rights and privileges that are ours in this country to to advocate for good, to vote for good. But when it comes to political parties, political candidates, um, what what where should the boundaries be for pastors, for churches? Where should the boundaries be for us as Christians? And how have we gotten in trouble with that over the last couple of decades, do you think? Yeah, um, well, I think it, it, it's uh, a delicate issue because there are definitely live issues in American politics today that uh, I believe, as a Christian, have you know pretty clear biblical implications. I think the pro-life issue is one of those. Uh, you, you know, I, I think religious liberty is one of those. Um, but on the other hand, we, we have to just be constantly aware of the temptation um, by political parties and political candidates to say uh, there is only one Christian alternative, and uh, that 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 can you know that candidate that party has to uh, can reasonably expect just uncritical devotion by uh, Christians in in America. And I think some of that, it really goes back at least as far to, as, um, you know, the Cold War uh, in the 1950s and, and so forth. And back, back then, you know, Billy Graham was just becoming famous as, a, as an evangelist and uh, started to attract a lot of political attention for that. And so, and so he, even later in his career, he would look back and say, you know, I went a little too far with you know endorsing candidates and and there were there were even times where he had Richard Nixon speak at his evangelistic rallies that's obviously pre Watergate and you, you know there there's a temptation to just kind of go all in with you know this one party this one candidate as God's candidate um and especially in instances like Nixon and his uh, disgrace ultimately because of Watergate that it can really come back to haunt you and and so as christians when an election is rolling around or when when we see events like today and we hear people being critical of the president he should have done this he shouldn't have done that as christians are we to hold our tongue or to are we to express our own views about who's right and who's wrong and and our allegiance to a particular party or a candidate well, I think that definitely we can we can be engaged and and hold our views. I, I think that we one of the guardrails we should observe though is is trying as best we can to not allow our political opinions say to be disruptive in our uh, local congregation, hmm. and that's a tough balance to get right, especially because of the role of social media. Now, where you know we see people ranting about this and that and hot takes on every possible issue, and uh, you know it has really become a big challenge over the past decade or so in American congregations about not letting those sorts of things become fundamentally divisive uh, in in a, in a congregation, and so uh, giving other believers, uh, friends at church, you know, a little bit of space to uh, be excited or not about your political candidate or be fully on board with your political view, because as, a, as important as those things are, uh, you know, it's, it's really the Word of God that is, 
you know, our, our basis of unity. Uh, and so we just got to have, you know, some guardrails in place to not get into this kind of excessive politicization of the church and church life. Yeah, I, I want to read as as we wrap this up, and, and we're talking to Dr. Thomas Kidd, professor of history from Baylor, and this has been so helpful and, and I think clarifying, but I just want to read from First Peter 2, because this is, uh, Dr. Kidd, this is where I go regularly as I think about my role as a as a believer, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. First of all, I think I'm an ambassador. That's my assignment. My allegiance is to another country, but I'm to live in this country as an ambassador, and I'm to put our country on display, the kingdom on display in this culture so that people see the best of what it is. But then I read in, in First Peter, and again, First Peter writing in a time of persecution from Roman oppression, says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. My, my assignment, keep my conduct among those who are not followers of Christ honorable so that they don't speak evil of me. Now, that's hard to do because in this day, a lot of people are going to speak evil of you. If all you do is you say, I love Jesus, They're, they got it in for you. Yeah. But then it goes on to say, be subject to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's the emperor as supreme, to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is the will of God that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I think we've got marching orders here, and I hope we'll follow those. D- Dr. Kidd, thanks for joining us. Thanks to those of you who have tuned in. And, and let's make sure our allegiance is where it belongs to the kingdom of heaven. We'll be back After this break, stay with us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 